This is The Final Word, just The Final Word, the weekly show with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins coming to you from the kitchen table in London, uh, sitting around because we have a, a few days, a couple of days where we don't have to travel, a couple of days before I'll be off to wherever it is, Bristol maybe, to, mm-hmm. for the, the Women's Ashes ODIs. We've got Women's Ashes stuff coming up on the show. We've got India going to the Caribbean for their test tour. We've got Afghanistan beating Bangladesh in their white ball series. We've got World Cup qualifier stuff to update where we were up to last week. And uh, crucially, critically, we have a live show confirmed, Adam, for London. We do, yeah. People keep saying to me, oh, day off, no day five. I'm like, yeah, where I'm, where I'm working relentlessly. No, oh, no, no I'm not t- complaining. <laughs> more, more time to do podcasts. More, more can't yet. And I'm doing uh, Surrey the next three days as well, the Surrey-Nottinghamshire County Championship game. Surrey. Days two, three and four at the Oval. I so ain't sorry. It's sorry. Just another, uh, just another sorry. version of a busy week. But mm. no, it, in a way I am glad we got to drive home last night, as we did with Jeremy, the great man, Jeremy Vernon Coney, um, and Jared Kimber in the back seat as well. I especially liked how we started the day with Jeremy doing a chat GBP. Is that how GPT. GBT, sorry, shows how in touch I am with AI. GBP is Great British Pounds. True, that's true. I yeah. should know that. Um, Chat GBP would be a good name for a, a money segment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe, yes. I saw the finance specialist was on view from the boundary on TMS the other day. Maybe mm-hmm. he can run a segment called Chat GBP and I can invoice him for it. No, the um, he started the day with a rap that was inspired by Chat GBP. P-T. Um, and ended the day listening to the entirety of Is This It, the Stroke seminal debut album from 2001, yep. which was quite the experience with him kind of half singing along when he kind of picked up the choruses and so on. Well, this is, so this is Jeremy Coney's a very curious man. He's a, he's a polymath. He's interested in all kinds of artistic and creative things. So He's also a music man. He's a music man. And so I, I was just, there was just a, a sort of automated algorithm thing spooling music and he kept asking me, what's this? Who's this? And I was like, <laughs> well, I don't actually know. So I thought I'll put on something that I do know. And he was getting very into it. You know, we were going through some of that, that early 2000s indie stuff, some block party as well. Yep. He was getting into yep. a bit of silent alarm. And, and he was drumming on the dashboard and he was starting to – he wasn't singing the, the lyrics but he was singing the harmonies. He was harmonising with the um, with the main vocal line. I love doing that through. with him too. I've, I've spent a lot of time in cars with Jeremy and I like putting on Beatles songs with harmonies. He knows, he's got um, – he knows every Beatles album back to front. And you put on a Beatles song, he knows all the harmony bits and chooses to go there. It's a lot of fun. He's a great man. But, yeah, we all go back to London pretty late last night and have all regrouped today and that's why we're here and as you mentioned before we, we have been able to um, through this busy Monday sort out the live show once and for all so the big reveal Stephen Finn is back to go again we had we had Finney do the final word live with us in, in Adelaide last Ashes series yep. wasn't it Adelaide. Yeah, Adelaide yeah, it's 2021. Weird, it's weird that we were in Adelaide because um, they've never played a test match there. So no, I don't quite. know why we were all there, but we were. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's inside joke from you there, Jeff, for our dedicated final nerds. Uh, speaking of our final nerds, they will get a heavily discounted ticket, won't they? We, we, we've yeah. arranged all of this. Yeah, so the show is at the Phoenix, which is a pub just next to Oxford Circus. It's as central as central London can mm-hmm. be. It'll be the 26th, which is the night before the test. It'll be 7 for 7.30. There'll be a ticket link going live. And if you're if you signed up on Patreon, you get a half price ticket if you want to come along. And that'll be via an offer code. So what we're going to do in the next little while is, well, first of all, if you're listening to this now, it's a bit like that Paul Hanson video. If you are watching this now, I have been assassinated. If you're, if you're listening to this now, the ticket link will be live by then. I think I think it already is actually. And the offer code will be sent to all of our patrons in a locked post. Mm-hmm. And that gets you a 15 quid ticket instead of the full freight, which is 30 quid. Finney's an awesome live guest as well. Adelaide, it was a heap of fun. So it'll be wonderful to share that experience with our um, listeners who are over in the UK for the Ashes night before an oval test match that with any luck will be live. By that I mean the series will still be live as we head into the final test of what is already shaping up as the most memorable Ashes as well. We debated this on the Daily Show yesterday. Since 05, maybe possibly. Mm. Well, certainly since, but equal to 05. If we get that far, it will be. It's also the shows in conjunction with the Lord's Taverners who do a lot of great charitable work using cricket as their vehicle. So uh, you'll be able to find out more about them there. You'll be able to sign up to get more information about the Lord's Tavs and the projects that they're doing. Yeah, that's it. This is, this is a really nice tie-in. So the Lord's Tabs are going to be all around this um, in terms of setting it up. They're selling the tickets for us, which is really good of them. And there's ways of donating to the Tabs as part of the ticket buying process. But, yeah, it works really nicely. So if you haven't already, please um, share your data with the 
the tab, sign up to their email newsletter, um, which is why, which is how I found out about the Edinburgh Marathon and Half Marathon. That's an event we're going to be doing next year. We're back in Edinburgh playing a cricket game with the tabs on the 23rd of August. A bunch of us are going up there for that. Mm-hmm. I'd love more players. If you want to go to Edinburgh with me and with others from The Final Word and play two games of cricket um, on the 22nd and 23rd of August during the Fringe, that is something you can do. All you need to do is get in touch with me and I'll sort the rest out. But crucially, email me. Final word, cricket at gmail.com or send me a message in all the other usual places. Now, just before we get to the women's ashes stuff, a, a, a topic dear to our hearts, overrates. Overrates in <laughs> test cricket. Now, we talked a lot about overrates on day three and then um, my favourite sort of idiot comment on the day four show was, oh, I didn't talk about the overrate, did you? No, we didn't talk about the overrate because England won the test match and so we were talking about them winning the test match, you know, as opposed to the day before when 25 overs were bowled and there wasn't so much to talk about. When 21, 20.1 over were bowled in 156 minutes. We were talking about it. Funny that. Yeah, because there was also time to talk about it because of the lack of other things that had happened because of the slow overrate. So uh, one of our favourite things to talk about on this show, though, is overrate. Joke's on you. So um, England, Australia, they're they're both in the dock for points deductions. They're likely to lose, is it 13 points for the slow overrates in the test match in the Lords test. Lords and Edgbaston for Edgbaston. Australia. So right. 13 points is more than a win in a WTC context right. where you get 12. So Australia are, are going to fight this. They're going to take it to the ICC. Part of their argument, according to Pete Lawler, is going to be that bowling 90 overs in a day, even with all the um, all of the allowances, isn't possible. Uh, and they're going to argue it on structure according to the report in the Oz, which is interesting. England are saying, well, Ben Stokes said explicitly to the umpires the other day when when apparently this was raised in that ridiculous Saturday afternoon session, do you see the people complaining? It's not the point, Ben. It's not the point. It's it's the the, the, the playing conditions are that you play yeah. 90 overs a day. You don't get to and, just and, change and, them on the hoof because the crowd are enjoying themselves. And if you want to change it, if you want to say we should only bowl 80, then make the case through the ECB and go to the ICC and, and get the – Playing conditions change. But that's where we're going to land, right? Right. Yeah, just, just to be clear, just so we all know what's happening here, it'll be 80 over test cricket very soon. Right. That, that's, that's the trajectory, right? Because mm-hmm. we're already at, you know, Andrew Sampson crunched this for us a year or two ago. We're already losing five or six a day. Mm. They'll, they'll go, we'll just make it easier. We'll make it 80 a day. There'll be an uproar for five minutes like there was when there were numbers put on the shirts. Like everyone got very angry about that sure. for a couple of minutes and then moved on with life. So it'll be here. Test cricket will get reduced. I'm certain. Mm. Of it. And, so, and the rhythm of it will change because you won't have, say, 10 overs with the new ball at the end of the day. All of that. Yeah, I, I've got no doubt that that's what we're going to get to because they're not going to extend the playing hours even though we did extend playing hours momentarily when four-day test cricket was playing 98 overs per day. Remember that? Mm. Remember the whole idea, that the whole conceit of four-day test cricket was you only lose half a day because you build in an extra half an hour, an extra two hours across four days beforehand with overs. Um, they didn't even bother with that fallacy ahead of the Ireland test match the other week. It was um, four days of 90 overs. But, I mean, we, yeah, sure. they didn't get through the 90 We could extend the, the playing hours by another 30 minutes to give them yet another 30 to get the 90 in, but the players won't cop that. So we end up in this ongoing debate. But, yeah, this will actually hurt. So England, again, according to Lawler, aren't paying their fines. Shock horror. Like, of course, they're not paying their fines. As if the players really pay the fines to the ICC when they're not even the ones paying them the match fees. Like, as if. Because it's a deduction of the match fee, right? Right. And the match fee comes from the host board. Sure. It doesn't come from the ICC. And so the host board can say, well, here's a deduction of your fee. And then at the end of the year, they can be like, by the way, here's a bonus for unrelated reasons. Yeah, it's it's, the same amount. It's a nonsense. I'll tell you what. Like, like if if they actually. So the Australian players get 20 grand AUD for one test match. So across the team that's $220,000 if the whole team gets fined 100% of their match fee. Imagine if that money got donated to an associate country. A lot of the associates <laughs> are on about 60 grand, 70 grand a sure, year. That's sure. their entire that's their entire operating budget. You know, some of the wealthier ones might get a couple of hundred thousand. You know, if if the money from the fines was actually collected and was repurposed in in a way like that, then it might actually be useful and 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 achieve something. Yeah, well, look, at least this is going to provide um, a disincentive to take the piss because both of these sides, well, England, are, uh, you know, quite rightly are frustrated about the fact that they caught fire after they'd lost so many Test matches in the WTC cycle, they couldn't make the final, right? And Australia suffered back in two thousand and twenty-one from their slow overrate deduction, albeit I think that was two points was enough four to points. four points. Sorry, was enough to tilt it. Well, I'll tell you what, thirteen—that's that, an entire Test match yeah. plus um, lost, and and um, England should get 
a considerable deduction um, of WTC points from what they did on Saturday. And there'll be other instances mm. in this Leeds Test match. So, yeah, th there is um, an ongoing conversation. Some people will always um, complain about us complaining about it, and that's fine. They, they think that things that, you know, players should play to the rhythm they wish to, and it's all about sure. the overall product and the end product. But, um, but really, this is about uh, having a, a set of playing conditions that mm. the players adhere to, not... Uh, just when they see fit to do so. Yeah, well, like I said, you you can make that argument if you make the argument that the rules should be permanently changed, that you don't need to bowl 90 overs. If you have a rule that says you have to bowl 90 overs, then you have to bowl 90 overs. Uh, yeah, or, or be punished accordingly. Yeah. Um, and as I said many times, the, the, in county cricket, there is a way of managing this. You still bowl your overs and you get fined. Yep. That is to say, you bowl your overs and you lose your... Um, County Championship mm. points. So you don't get anything, you know. But in Test Cricket, we've got the hard cut-off. That's a broadcasting thing. I get yep. that, but anyway. In, te in Test Cricket, you know, I think literally the only way is to start taking players off the field when you're behind the over eight. Oh, you know? I, I think there's a – I th actually think there is one other way. It's in play. Um, um, it's in innings or end of innings, I should say, penalty runs. We have penalty runs levied for other things, other stuff in the game now. It's not. But, but there, are, there are periods where that won't matter. If a team's 500 ahead, then – 10 penalty runs, 20 penalty runs won't affect them. So, That's so true. you need That's something true. that actively affects play for everybody at, in the moment at every period of time. So, so like T20 with the circle yeah, fielders. Yeah, oh, yeah, I, you're I, one over behind, you lose a fielder, you're two overs, you lose two. Whatever. Yeah, whichever side has been deemed responsible for the loss of overs, remembering that it's occasionally the batting team, I think yeah. should pay with 10 runs per over. Mm -hmm. at the end of the innings is, and done via yeah. penalty runs. So the umpires and the match referee would have to uh, make that, that assessment four times a yeah, match. Which they never do because they always end a test match and then say, oh, this team was four overs behind, <laughs> when in fact that team was 43 overs behind yeah. and they somehow make ways to cover for them because all of the, um, all of the match referees are former players. <laughs> that seems to be where their sympathies lie. Anyway, let's get off over rates and let's get on to the women's ashes, which is spicily set up. Australia losing their first bilateral T20 series for six years. That was the India one, wasn't it, from memory, that when India came over and beat Australia in Australia I know, they lost the T20s in, in, in Australia against England in 17 in the women's ashes. So England won the two in Canberra to, to win 2-1. But, yeah, it's still a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, it's, right. it's a, lo it's a long joking. time ago. It's before Australia. They lost two in because that was earlier in 17, wasn't it? When uh, that was in late six, uh, early 16. That was early 16. But, you, but your point is right. India did win a... T20 series against Australia so then. But this is all before the pay deal. Like, and I think that's really important to remember. Mm. Everything changed for Australian women's cricket in terms of turbocharging their performances after the MOU in the middle of 17, which kicked in in the following year. And that's also after the T20 World Cup, sorry, rather the 50 over World Cup in 17, where they are effectively unbeatable from 2018 onwards. So there are moments in time and for the Australian women that loss of a series in 2017 is significant which is what makes this quite interesting to me like um, I, I never would have thought what did I say before the T20 World Cup on the podcast that, mm. that, that if you were to simulate it um, that Australia would win that tournament 97 times well if you were to simulate a, um, a T20 bilateral series with England maybe it's not so clear cut there but you know they, they might win it 89 times you know and this is one of the 11 to pick arbitrary numbers where England yep. have gotten up yeah well they have got up they made their biggest score against Australia in the first game, 189 for nine, which you would have um, noticed if you listened to The Daily Show uh, that we've had some some help from Henry Moran, Melissa's story, Alex Hartley yep. have been chipping in there, which has been great. Danny Wyatt's been on fire at the top, made 76 in that game um, and made quick runs as well in, in the other game when they had a reduced overs target, mm -hmm. 14 overs when they were chasing in the second game England. She made a fast 26 Wyatt to, to get them off and, and running. So they, they, they beat Australia. They just held Australia short the first time and, and then they ran down the target quite comprehensively despite losing a couple of wickets right at the end. Yeah, ca the and Capsi, young player in Capsi, 46 from 23 in the chase at Lords. Um, three consecutive record crowds for women's T20s yeah. in England. So it was like 19,000, 20,000, 21,000. It's got to be for women's bilaterals across the board. I think there's never been a crowd that big for a women's Ashes match in Australia. Right, sure. So that that, that was great off the field. They um, celebrated 25 years of the, the beginning of the women's Ashes before the game at Lords as well with a number of former players who were in London for 
for that um, for that with um, with the MCC, which is pretty cool. I thought I think they've laid a plaque, haven't they, on the mm. on the ground there in the in the Harris Garden or, or somewhere around the back of the pavilion. So it was a great night for England to perform well. Danny Gibson with the reverse sweep first ball, um, cool as you like to, to win the game. And yeah, Capsy, young player on the way through. Um, the fact that you know Danny White has delivered um, mm-hmm. throughout the course of the, the series so far. Elise Perry has made runs, but not. Um, she was she, she wasn't within striking distance in that first game. Well, um, yeah, I mean, just just at the Lyon end, Bell. she needed eighteen off the last three balls, and she hit the last two for six, but couldn't hit the third last one, so yeah. they were out of the game at that point. You know, but it was was close, but probably looked a little closer than it, than it was given those last two sixes. And Perry's been striking it well. But um, uh, Megan Schutz looks really off the boil. Yeah, She's been such a great performer for Australia over a decade and more. But um, she's she's looked she's lost potency at least in the two outings where England have got up. Conceded thirty five runs in three overs at Lords, which for Megan Schutz unheard of given how frugal she's been. She missed the Test match as well for the second time in a row against England. She was overlooked for the Test side. So Megan Schutz gone from being you know routinely ranked as the number one bowler in women's cricket, probably alongside Marazan Cap. Now, Eccleston's obviously the top of all of those charts, but um, yeah, shoot, we'll have to, I guess, reinvent herself. Like a, and, and look, she's never had pace. It's always been about mm. swing and accuracy. Um, so she comes from the previous generation, whereas the, the next generation, well, it's, um, it's uh, summed up nicely in who England have chosen to go to in their one-day squad. Not only is Izzy Wong back, but Lauren Filer, who was so impressive in that test match at Trent Bridge a couple of weeks ago. Those two are going to change English women's cricket together because they're both going to be bowling far more quickly than any woman has bowled for England before. Mm. By definition, that's going to change the type of cricket that they're able to play. I think Filer bowled the second fastest recorded delivery by an England woman in in the test match. Um, You know, really put it up the Australians as well. Got Perry couple of times, um, rush them with pace. So it'll be interesting to see how this goes because in a 50-over contest when you've got more space, like, like T20 is the most volatile format, you would think the quality of the Australian team is going to tell over 50-overs. It's going to be a, a more of a challenge for England to beat them in 50-overs than it was in 20. Yeah. But I'll be interested to see how they set up the team. So Tammy Beaumont back, who doesn't get picked in the T20 team these days but made a double hundred in the test match. Danny Wyatt, do they open with her or do they open with Capsy? Because they had Alice Capsy open in one game before she got injured, uh, you know, and she's the young sort of heavy hitter. But Wyatt's been in such good nick in the T20s and slashing through the offside. So you could play one at seven and one opening or you yep. could flip it. It could work either way. But I, I just think maybe they will shuffle that. And uh, probably Capsy was supposed to open, but maybe Wyatt does given how she's played the last couple of weeks. And also Wyatt's, um, I think we described it like a libero sort of role. She can play anywhere through that lower middle order and have. Uh, she did so really well um, against India a couple of summers ago when she mm. was out of the one-day team, got dropped, came back through the number six, number seven, finished her role, ended up back at the top of the order. So that merry-go-round for Danny White continues, but she's the player in form and I suppose she's the player in possession having opened in the T20s. I think it's significant that Freya Davies isn't in the one-day squad mm-hmm. as well. It probably, again, sort of symbolises the direction of travel for England cricket. I know that Wong hasn't been part of it so far but Wong and and, and Filer that's the way they're going Kate Cross has got a definitely got a three in front of her eh? she might be 31 or 32 now mm. she's taken a big step up in the last couple of years being the linchpin around the attack but she won't be around forever and I'm not trying to pension her off but just thinking about succession planning for England having two young fast bowlers and then Lauren Bell who hasn't got the pace that's true but she has got the height and she has got a mean in swinger Mm. so I think that you're probably looking at the first two to bring real change in the way England play with Bell more in keeping with the previous generation pace wise but She's been primed for this over a number of seasons. And the slower balls, the back of the hand slower yes, ball, which yes. she bowled so well to close out that T20. Absolutely. Um, Bell. So it's interesting sort of how they'll chop that, 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 that bowling attack up, up. How do you fit everybody in? Who do you fit in? Because they've got Capsy, Charlie Dean, Danny Gibson, the three all-rounders. Yeah. And they've got Filer, Wong, Bell, Cross, Sarah Glenn as yeah. the leg spinner as well. Funny where Glenn fits in, right? Got great numbers, great T20 numbers, but they, I, I sense they don't really trust her in 50 over cricket mm. because she is, um, like a lot of wrist spinners, and this is fine, she's the kind of wrist spinner who does give you a ball to hit every over, which the, the chaos of T20, that can kind of suit wrist spinners as we've seen throughout the life cycle. Of, of that format of the game for whatever reason in, in mm. 50 over cricket if you're inconsistent you can be milked and, and really taken apart so interesting to see where she fits into all of that so if England lose a game they can't 
get the Ashes back, but they can still lose a game and tie the series, which would really piss off the Australians because well, they were mad the last time <laughs> that happened. So there's still, you know, the, the Australians still have to win the next two to sort of to make sure that they have to win two of the three to make sure that they actually win the series outright. It, exactly. Now, there's, this is um, going back to my long-standing argument about why the points should be, some of them should be odds and evens. They shouldn't all be evens because mm. it does mean that you can have this more straightforward retention. I'm sure with odd numbers and even numbers, you could still have a draw as well. I'm not saying you couldn't have it tied sure. on points, but it's harder to achieve if you're clever about, you know, maybe five points for three. a test win, yeah. two for a draw, three for a one day, or two for a T20. There are ways of reconfiguring this that means that it's more likely to end up with one side winning outright mm. and just one other gripe on the way through by the way no more Ashes series clashing no more men's and women's Ashes series being in the same summer this has been the way for a long time in the multi-format point system that's become you know what we've been conditioned to since 2013 2014 in england the series have been intertwined mm -hmm. they stopped doing that in australia thankfully from 2017 onwards and last time around it was after the men's ashes either do that over here or move it out of the summer how much better would have the women's ashes been next year when england's men are playing sri lanka and the west indies which with all due respect it's improbable either of those series are going to be capturing hearts and minds. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you drop a women's ashes in that summer, it gets so much more space. The truth is I've not been able to cover the women's ashes the way I wanted to because I've got so many different competing interests at the moment with the men's ashes. You've had a bit more flexibility than me. And I'm quite pissed off about that. Like I want to be at every major women's match that I can. And it's not about the media necessarily, but patrons who want to go to both, make their way. You know, if you wanted to go to... Um, if you want a ballot ticket for, for mm. Leeds Day 1, hen's teeth, right? Mm -hmm. A ballot ticket which you had to apply for last year yep. and you get it. That means by definition you really couldn't have gone to the Oval for the first T20 even yeah. if you're a Londoner. Unless you did what we had to do, which is dangerous. drive up <laughs> and get there at 3.30 in the morning and go to the test the next Which day. most people, that, for good reason, yeah. that, that's not viable. People have other or lives. By, or buy a 600-pound train ticket yeah, at 8 o'clock the next morning. So I hope the powers that be realise that this is the last time this should ever happen. Women's yeah. cricket is more than strong enough to be on its own two feet and it doesn't need the context of a men's ashes to make it worthwhile mm. as its own real big deal living thing. And, and I hope that we can get off kilter as soon as possible. And, and in fact, it, it may well be stronger on its own because it would have the air, the oxygen. Definitely. I, I'm, I'm convinced of this. You know, we've seen it in Australia with the women's ashes. When it's on its own, it gets a chance. It's got a chance. Mm. When it's with the men's running side by side, it is so difficult. There are only so many eyeballs that can follow yep. both at the same time. Yep. Yep, um, I would like to see something similar. And then if they split them off, we could have an Ashes every year. Wouldn't that be the dream? <laughs> Better than two in one summer. <laughs> I'd rather have one every year than two in one summer. I'm not too sure about that. <laughs> All right, let us play a game. Let's play a little bit of Nerd Pledge. Nerd Pledge. I think Peggy just woke up in the next room. So if you really want to give it big, you can. I saw her creep down the stairs. Well, rather, um, Rach was carrying her down the stairs. <laughs> Six months old, yes. she's creeping down the stairs. She's I'm um, eating solids. We've been, okay. I fed her some sweet potato this morning. Amazing. Which is pretty cool. Wow, that makes two of us. Proud dad stuff. Yeah, good work. Good work, Pex. Join the solid food <laughs> revolution. Now, Nerd Pledge, it's a game that we play with the lovely people who listen to this show, some of whom decide to be the lifeblood of this program. They fund the show by sending in donations that are very specific amounts of currency. They're not normal numbers. They're weird numbers. They're numbers that relate to cricket in some way, and we have to work out what the number means. David Whiteley has sent through $2.24. I wonder whether this is my old boss, David Whiteley, when I worked is in it? the superannuation sector. Could it be. might be. It might not be. He's a cricket nut. He used to listen to you and me on White Line Wireless wow. all those years ago. It could be. If it is to you, David Whiteley, I hope you're going well. wonder if it's any relation to Brett Whiteley, the great Australian painter. <laughs> well, could be. Uh, I doubt it, given that David's a pom, but still. Could, well, I'm not saying that your David Whiteley is related to Brett Whiteley, but I'm saying that okay. if it's not your David Whiteley, it okay. could be a different David Whiteley. Noted. Who, who's, who's into, I don't know, big canvases, you know, you know, Jackson Pollock, Blue Poles, all that kind of stuff, Whitlamira things. Now, David Whiteley has sent through a brief clue. You don't have to send through a clue with your number, but you can. And this says, uh, this number relates to a bloke who understood real pressure. Well, that means one thing to you and one thing to me, I'm sure, Adam Collins. Yeah, well, uh, a bloke, uh, sorry, understood real pressure. I mean, I, I don't know. Are you, are you suggesting that I've got someone that must be related to that clue? No, I'm, I'm saying that you, you, you would know what that clue means, wouldn't you? Real pressure. 
Australian cricket, real pressure. Real, pre- real pressure. Yeah. Why am I not? If you're saying it in such an assumed way, yeah. I'm, I'm looking at you blankly. Real pressure is having a mess of Schmidt up your ass. Oh, real pressure. Real pressure is okay. 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 Keith right. Miller. Keith Miller, who was a fighter pilot before he was an Australian cricketer. Quite embarrassing that I haven't immediately reached mm. for that. I thought you would have. I thought that would be. Yeah. It. I mean, you know it. I know it. I've said it. You know. I know it. Yeah. It's in the cultural lexicon, um, that quote, when he was asked about pressure on the cricket field and expressed a view that it didn't exist because cricket was just uh, about having a good time. So we've talked about Keith Miller before. I can't remember exactly which episode, but maybe in the last six months. Uh, yeah. I did quite a, an extensive Keith Miller bit. Um, Might have been around the time of the King's coronation. I seem to recall there was uh, a bit of Princess Margaret, bit of Princess Margaret mm. stuff. Material. That's the version of Mambo Number no. Five that Keith Miller wrote. A, bit. <laughs> a little bit of uh, one, two, three, four. That's one five. of the great Twitter comedian videos. Can't remember her name, but she's a genius. She goes, "It's the face of the girlfriend when listening to Lou Vegas." I've got a new song for you. Um, he's, and, he, and she's Monica, the first one. And her face, the blood drains out of her face by the end of this. A little bit of teen is what I need. <laughs> uh, I know we've talked about Lou Baker on the show before, probably more than than he deserves. In in the in the vein of the fact that twenty years after that song, he released a mashup song with Scatman Johns. Yes, um, I'm the Scatman. He was also on Test Match Special yeah. a couple of years ago because he'd. Um you know, famously, Mumba Number no. 5 was the Channel 4 theme music for cricket. Mark right. Nicholas tells that story wonderfully on Calling the Shots. Find it in the feed. Dig it out. But no, so I think he did a rounds of the press box like maybe two or three years ago. Wow. Um, in retrospect. You know, on, on I'm disappointed song. I was not there that, that summer. I think he's German, isn't he? He's he's not German, but he lives in Germany. Okay. He's, um, or I don't think he's German by nationality. Maybe he is. I'll do a bad maybe job of explaining German. this, but the guy that found you two and Mark Nicholas was yeah. sitting on the couch, like thinking of music to play to this mm. channel coverage and and then he pulled the record out and goes what about this and put it on and one thing led to another and right. Mark Nicholas is like that's it right that's the song right that's what's going to be and I think Lou Baker went to Miami and heard the sample for that song and went I'm going to write a hit out of this and then basically started pretending that he was Cuban even though he's, <laughs> he's actually German that's when he put the hat on and he was like he didn't explicitly say that he was Cuban but he just kind of gave the impression of being Cuban to the point that that that, that all worked anyway this this is a digression. Um, because we're talking about Keith Miller, who we have talked about before. If you don't know about Keith Miller, express pace, top order bat, gorgeous combination of things. Um, never really thought of himself as a bowler, didn't really believe that he was a proper bowler, but 170 wickets in 55 tests suggests that that was not the case. Uh, fighter pilot in World War II, many brushes with death, survived in in a range of ways. And then after the war, he's he's got he, he's got this sort of dipping his toes into high-level cricket that's not quite test cricket because he plays in the victory tests that are not official tests. Mm-hmm. In '46, he's in the, the services team, the, the military teams that tour India and then that go around Australia and play sort of fundraising, you know, cheer everybody up games just after the war as he comes out of the RAF and then he debuts in actual test cricket in New Zealand in 1946, plays the 46-7 Ashes, dominates those, plays on the Invincibles tour in 1948 with Bradman and he's always having trouble with authority. He's always brawling, particularly with Bradman, which is maybe why he gets left off the 49-50 tour of South Africa a few years later when he gets passed over as test captain for Ian Johnston. The 224, though, this is is where I was drawn to this. So this is fairly late in the Miller career. March 1955 in Kingston against the West Indies. Decent team. The three Ws are playing. Uh, Ramadin and Valentine, the spinners, one of our favourite wicket keepers, Dennis Atkinson, Dennis St. Eval Atkinson, who was part of that massive seventh wicket partnership. Um, that is still the record, I think, in Test cricket. So the two openers make 50s. Miller comes in after that to join Neil Harvey. They both make hundreds. Harvey, 133. Miller makes his highest Test score, which is 147. The partnership is 224, which is David Whiteley's number. Australia 515 declared. Uh, they set up a massive win and, um, and, 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 and win that match in, in Kingston. So I'm sure that's where the 224 comes from. But mainly when thinking about Keith Miller now, I just think about Ian Chappell because – so I know that, you know, the, the, sometimes it was the complaint that Ian Chappell tells too many stories. He's always telling – you know, drifting off on commentary to tell a story about um, 
Uh, you know, who, who are the ones he always goes to? He always goes Les to... Les Favel. Les Favel. Um, he always goes to uh, Lenny Dertanovich, uh, Lenny Pascoe. Yeah, likes talking about Ian Redpath. Ian Redpath, loves a Redders chat. But, so we talked about getting to drive around with Jeremy Coney drumming to the strokes yeah. in the car. Like, we could get to do some fun, cool things we do. in we our do. careers. And, and I think one of the things that, that I... You know, one of the, the the bits that I treasure is Ian Chappell's last season doing commentary. Um, he was back on the ABC for the previous Ashes in Australia um, when I was doing the last three of those tests, and so I got to do commentary with Ian Chappell yeah, as my yeah, as my special yeah. comments guy, which was you know, I, I feel pretty chuffed about that. But the best bit was in Sydney when it was pissing down rain one day, and there was a whole session and more that where we were just sitting around and waiting, and so Andy Zaltzman and I just started asking Ian Chappell questions. And so there's the thing about complaining that he tells too many stories. That's not a problem when you've got nothing to do and you want stories. So for two hours, and Zoltzman described this later as a live podcast with, a, with an audience of two, we just pressed buttons on, on the chapel um, keyboard and we were like, tell us about Neil Harvey. Tell us about Keith Miller. Tell us about Don Bradman. And he would tell a 20-minute story with impeccable recall of every conversation. He'd be like, yeah, it was a Sunday. It was about 24 degrees. Oh, it was beautiful blue skies that day. And I was walking down from Mossman to, you know. So it reminds me of our Paul Kelly interview last year. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> remarkable, remarkable recall. And he talked about getting to know Keith Miller in when he was living in Adelaide. Nugget, um, as, as Chapel would describe him. And um, the golden nugget, and, and sort of wandering, you know, going over to to Miller's place over the years and getting to know him better and, and getting advice from him and how he said, you know, when I didn't know him so well, he described Bradman as that little bastard, <laughs> and when I'd got to know him better, he described him as uh, fill in a different word <laughs> uh, for, for, for that particular. So Miller, uh, a, a man of forthright um, opinions, and and who got up the nose of authority and got offside with them. But I reckon that 224 for David Whiteley is about the partnership that he had in Jamaica with Neil Harvey in 1950. Can't remember what year I said it was. Five, 1955. Okay. That suits us very nicely. If you want to contribute to what we do here on the show in a practical way, patreon.com forward slash the final word. That link is in the show notes right alongside the, the link to the uh, live show at uh, the Phoenix in Soho. Both of those will be there. All you need to do is click through. Very straightforward. Patreon.com forward slash the final word. You can join our Discord channel where, as we've said on the daily shows, you can hang out with other like-minded uh, final word types in that lovely forum there and it will get you a half price ticket to watch uh, Stephen Finn go through his paces with Jeff and me on stage at the Phoenix on the 26th of July getting quick because I suspect these tickets well they are limited by definition because it's a venue and it's going to be amplified throughout social media and on the Lord's Tabs pages and all of that and they've got a big network so if you're keen to come please get in quick do it today yeah do it do it on day one that'll be the, the safest way it's it's not that huge a venue all right let's take a break and then it'll be India in the West Indies. Hi, I'm Ebony Rainford-Brent and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. It is The Final Word, Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. India off for their next test assignment in the Caribbean, um, the new World Test Championship cycle beginning as well. Australia and England already on negative points from, yep. <laughs> from their, um, their over eight shenanigans. Love it. And serves them right too. I hope they both miss out on the final on that basis. <laughs> like, I mean, I hope everybody gets points deducted for that stuff. It might be that they all miss out on the final. It could be yep. like the Football World Cup last year where at a time yep. everyone had to uh, play an extra 10 minutes because the referees all bound together and decided to adjudicate it properly. It, it, it could be like one of those years where they don't give the award, you know, for a Pulitzer or yes, something where yes. they're like, well, nobody deserves it this year. Like when Shilberry was editor of the Wisdom Cricketers Almanac and mm. it was the year that Muhammad Amir would have been one of the five and he gave four instead of five as a consequence. Oh, that's, that's, that's sort of pen, empty chair level yes, symbolism here. So um, they, they're going to Dominica. They place, are. A place that you always speak of fondly. Yes, uh, and I'm so glad that it'll be the first test match played there since 2017. So Dominica, uh, Windsor Park, was the um, ground where I commentated test cricket like a grown-up for the first time in 2015, um, Adam Voges' 100 on, on Test Taboo, which I was very fortunate to be behind the mic for. And, yeah, it was my first tour, right? Like you and I had done stuff in uh, at home and, and, and I'd you know, obviously been to a lot of Test cricket before, but actually going there as a member of the accredited press and, and in turn getting the chance to commentate that week mm. in Dominica, very special. I'll never forget crossing the island. Um, it's about an hour drive from where you land to where you are. 
and leaving my hat accidentally in, in, at the airport. And when I arrived to fly out from Dominica after the test match, the guy from security said, oh, you left this here a week ago. <laughs> it's that kind of place, lovely people. Um, the open-air nightclub where Chris Rogers was announced to their own, Chris Rogers! And Bucky's like giving it big ones on the dance floor and Mitchell Marsh when he was a member of the squad but not a member of the mm. team, I'm pretty sure, just dancing around in the open-air nightclub on his own. No one knew, well, rather, people know who he was, but he didn't give a fuck. He was just mm. doing his thing. Great memories from there, but um, very tragically, there was a horrific hurricane that, that went through uh, that part of the Wimbledon Leeward Islands in 2017, September 2017. Um, 280 kilometres per hour winds, a huge death toll around there and other parts of, of the Caribbean that, that saw 3,000 people lose their lives. Uh, it damaged 98% of buildings in Rosal, the, the capital of Dominica, including the ground, which is right on the edge of the city. Like you, you kind of go up the hill and it's a beautiful place. But yeah, this is the first test match. Um, they've managed to um, get Dominica into a position where it can host international cricket again. And, and India are going to be there. The last time India were there, it was Virat Kohli's first test tour back in 2011. Wow. So a bit of a full circle there. But I'm just chuffed that they were able to play a test match there. And personally, I cannot wait to get back to Dominica at some stage. It means a lot to me. Yeah, good, good luck to them. Um, and I'm sure the rebuilding and reconstruction is still going. And it's good to know that there's a place that if Lou Bega ever left his hat behind at the airport, it would be safe, you know. You, you wouldn't want him to be knocking around uh, his adopted part of the world without his hat, um, the hat man. Now, interesting times for the Indian team. They're, they're, they're doing a slow transition, so Pajara's gone. Shame. Yashavi Jaiswal will, will come in and bat at three. <laughs> Rituraj Gaikwad's in the squad, but probably not in the 11 initially, but you never know. You're mm. only ever a, a rolled ankle away or, or a, a, a whim, a selectorial whim. So Shubman Gill as well, they're, between the three of them, they're, they're the new blood, the sort of the next yeah. lot in. Shreya Sire is still recovering from injury, presumably. And there's there's the old guard with Rohit Sharma, with Virat Kohli and, and Ajinkya Rahane, who's back as vice-captain. So so that's interesting that they've got sort of a bit of new that, that they haven't gone. They've got, they're, they're easy on the transition, only one of the old guard moving out. I'd imagine at Dominica, which is a ground where Michael Clark has a test fifer, uh, they'd be inclined to play both spinners, Judasia and Ashwin, are both in the squad. Um, and Ashwin's record in the Caribbean is absurd. He's got, what, three centuries batting in the yeah. Windies from memory in the space? Something like He's got five against – sorry, he's got five total four against the Windies. I think I think three of them might have been there. In the Caribbean, he's yeah. Got a, feel about that so but they still you know they still feel that Rishabh Hunt don't they because even if Ashwin bats six like that's that's obviously where Rishabh was batting before his accident or if Jadeja bats six you mean Jadeja yeah, yeah I mean yeah that's right but I still you know when I'm thinking about the Indian test team I'm still thinking about Rishabh um, most of the time and they've got to make do with what they've got and I understand that yeah. um, KS Bharat's a fine, fine um, gloveman but um, he's um, never going to be able to bring to test cricket what Rishabh Pant was before no, his accident. No, I mean, I mean nobody could and nobody did. Like Rishabh's just on his own in terms of the 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 strength of effect that he could have on a test match. Yep. You know, he, he really is sort of in the Gilchrist calibre mm. um, in terms of, of just how much of an influence he could have as a wicketkeeper with the bat, um, you know, and he just hasn't had the length of career to rack up as many hundreds. But, I mean, you know, God, I hope he's able to come back fully after mm. that injury, but I wouldn't necessarily expect that he can. And if he can't, I think Ishan Kishan's going to end up being the keeper, right? Yeah, well, so he's in the squad. So, yeah. so again, it's like it was with the World Test Championship yeah. final. Do you have KS Barat as your proper keeper who's not as good with the bat do you have Ishan Kishan as as your as your um, more aggressive wicket keeper Harsha's view and I take you know when, when he watches a lot of this stuff as close as we do right his view is that you have to pick Kaius Brad at the moment Ishan Kishan's keeping isn't there mm. uh, isn't um, at the point where it would supersede the importance of a of a top quality wicket keeper but I mean keepers can improve right keepers can go from being batters who keep a bit to being frontline keepers it's not it's not like you know you don't necessarily stay at the same standard forever. So yeah, yeah, exactly that's that. So uh, the bowling is interesting as well because Mohammad Shami's being rested, so they've got Mohammad Siraj as the attack leader, effectively yeah. not hugely experienced attack leader. Um, Navdeep Saini is back, who oh, played good. a role in in the yeah. Australian win. Um, Jadev Nadkat might get a go. He's been around at about the squad, you know, as the veteran bowler who hasn't 
played in a decade and has, hasn't been able to uh, to break back through. Got back for one test in yeah, the Bangladesh. Yeah, he got one, yeah. Yeah, but it was like a decade between drinks kind of thing. Yeah, um, but, but hasn't been able to win a spot, so this might be his best opportunity to do that. Shadal Thakur is in there. And, and there's always an Indian smoky. I love this, this about Indian squads. So Mukesh Kumar is the bolter, 29 years of age, um, right arm, little little outswingers, not super quick but, but very accurate. 149 first-class wickets at 21, decent numbers. Yeah. Um, but, you know, hasn't played a huge amount of – I think he's played – under 40 first-class matches at 29 years mm, of age. So mm. there's always a, a kind of um, somebody from nowhere who might just play a role, I suppose, in Mukesh Kumar. As for the Windies, I mean, their home record's been okay, remembering they, they beat England uh, last year. They've uh, won uh, series. They've had one series loss out of their last five at home, haven't they? Something yeah, like that. that so sounds th- right. They, they've been putting together a body of work before they came to Australia last year and got absolutely pantsed. They, sure. they were trending in the right direction. Um, I hope that series was an outlier. I fear that it wasn't. I fear that India will um, beat them heavily, but will tell, I suppose, with Brathwaite, who's a strong captain, who we can yep. you know, we can all um, have an enormous amount of appreciation for. What is it before Chanderpool came along that um, the last 12 test centuries opening were, were um, Craig Brathwaite for the Windies? So um, he'll have Jermaine Blackwood as his vice-captain, as he did in Australia last year. Chanderpool mm. will be there. Um, the old firm of Jason Holder... Well, Alzari Joseph, um, Kemar Roach, I mean, very familiar names. It's just about whether they can, at home, really put any pressure mm. on India, any sort of airspeed pressure on. I, I just don't see it. Well, they they might be able to do it via one one man because Shannon, uh, open inverted commas, Peter, close inverted commas, Gabriel. Shannon Gabriel's back. back. I believe so. I miss this entirely. Yeah, That's bit, very exciting. Um, big Shannon. Okay. Big Shannon. I'm big Shannon Null. I'm Shannon Null. I'm Shannon Gabriel. I'm sharing it. Um, he's back. I was told that there was just no way he'd get back to play multi multi day cricket. That is well, great news. He's, he's in the squad, um, and and if you want airspeed, he's your man as he long is. as he can stay fit. I remember when he hit at Dominica, um, Josh Hazelwood in the helmet at real pace, and Hazelwood shook it off, made about thirty not out, and got Voges that aforementioned mm. hundred on the boost. So that that's good news. They've and also got in the squad. Um, a, a Dominican local, Alec Athanasi. I'm going to pronounce it incorrectly, and I you have a crack at it. Athanasi. 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 Alec Athanasi. Now he made. He's from Dominica. Left-handed, young. Uh, made the Windies' quickest fifty on one day debut earlier this year uh, and there's big raps on this kid mm. so um, I hope he gets the chance to um, add a test debut to his one day debut which was so successful earlier this year and then they're playing eight white ball games <laughs> after that which, um, which so two we'll, tests and eight white ball games standard we'll, fair we'll all be glued to each of those I'm sure um, Afghanistan beat Bangladesh in, mm. their, in their one day series so um, and, and ructions uh, issuing from that now this is an amazing story from Muhammad Islam one of the best journalists in the world covering the game out of Bangladesh he's a precious resource and um, I'm glad that he's um, still recognises the voice of cricket in Bangladesh he absolutely is and this has got to be up there with one of his best this is truly bizarre stuff so Tammy McBall captaining um, and this isn't after the series is lost. This is after the first match is lost. He's he's had a back injury. He says he's he's not sure why. It doesn't. They don't know what the problem is. And he says I'm going to play the first game and figure out if if it how bad it is, right? And then apparently the coach gets unhappy about this and says, well, you can't be trying to work out whether you're injured or not by playing, and gets angry um, and 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 expresses this anger to Nazmul Hassan, who's the BCB president, right? So the board president hears about this, who basically runs everything, everything goes through him. And he gets mad about it and thus goes straight to the press and says Tammy McBall shouldn't be doing this, doesn't speak to Tammy McBall about it. So Tammy McBall retires immediately <laughs> from one day international cricket. And now, and, and Mohamed Hassan makes the, the connection in his piece with George Steinbrenner, uh, boss of the New York Yankees, and how if you've... Uh, if you've never listened to the listen to the, the Dollop podcast about Billy Martin, who was the Yankees manager, who I think was fired six times by Steinbrenner <laughs> and rehired every time because Steinbrenner would do things like this. He would just get mad and go straight to the press and then Billy Martin would quit and then Steinbrenner would woo him back and then Steinbrenner would fire him. and then So it's like this, right? Um, uh, so Tamim says, I'm out. I'm done with this. Done with this bullshit. I don't want to captain this side anyway. And then Mashrafe Mortaza, the former captain who's got no official position with the BCB, goes and gets Tommy McBall and takes him to the Prime Minister's house. 
So Sheikh Hasina, she's the Bangladesh Prime Minister and she's a massive cricket fan. She is. And so... We met her in 2017. So she receives Tamim McBell the next day after he's retired and convinces him to unretire <laughs> with a prime ministerial intervention, at which point he comes out and says, OK, I'm the ODI captain again. And then the BCV <laughs> president says, all good, take six weeks off, get your back sorted out and you can lead the team to the World Cup. That is just classic Bangladesh cricket. And I'm not surprised, you know, Tamim Zafari customer. <laughs> I, um, I, again, self-referential, but it's a, a, nice mo- a, a nice memory from both Assam and myself. We had a dinner at, at um, um, Tamim's house in Chittagong in 2017 with his family. He's a, he's a ripping fella and um, a fiery fella. And, uh, you know, that's, again, as I say, thoroughly in keeping with a lot of stories that come out of Bangladesh. And, um, Isn't that incredible? Yeah, and, and the, way they, incredible? the way the media cover the game, what's it, like 50 TV stations that cover yep. Bangladesh cricket? and Just like full barrackers, you know, just, yeah. just jumping up and down and cheering. And, in and the, prime ministerial intervention. I'm pretty sure she was the PM who was on the field in tears when they beat Australia in Dhaka by 40-odd runs in, in 17. So it means a tremendous amount. Hopefully they can convert that passion into... Mm. Um, into results on the field um, and, across and, the formats. And how grand that Tammy McBale is still going. And, and didn't he, I mean, how long ago was it? 2012, was it, when he peeled off that 100 at Lords? 2010. 2010. It's a f- and that's the last time it, he's played in England? A, it's a shambles. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah, white ball cricket's one thing, but that's what, that's part of the reason I wanted to make sure we put that question to Richard Gould when we interviewed him the other week because there's, much as it is with Australia hosting Bangladesh, mm. which in theory is meant to happen in the next WTC cycle, although, well, no, not WTC. It's, uh, is that happening the next? I think it is. It's, it might be in the out years in the FTP. Right. Like, in budget project, in like in budgets, right? There's the there's the forecast and there's the projections. The forward estimates. Um, in the forward estimates, I wouldn't imagine that they'll actually play Bangladesh at home. But mm. England, no, no current plans. Yeah, exactly. Having not played Zimbabwe at home in 20 years, yeah. and having not played Bangladesh in well approaching 15 years <laughs> now, and so you, you never get to see what you know Mustafa Rahman might do exactly. with the Lord's Slope, or or how Shakib might go on a spinning track at Old Trafford. It is a shame, and it is. An embarrassment for those boards. Anyway, that's what's going on in the Caribbean um, and in Bangladesh. Cricket, I think we should take one more break. Yes. And then we're going to talk to Cameron Ponsonby, our friend and colleague, who's in the USA. Party in the USA. About Major League (laughs) Cricket coming up just after this. Hi, I'm Isha Gua and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Levin. This is the final word, Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Just before we go to Cameron Ponsonby in Houston, Texas, uh, we're going to go via Zimbabwe where the Dutch won through to the 10-team World Cup. Now, we talked about the fact that this was a possibility on the weekly show last week. We said uh, we said they had to Scotland had to beat Zimbabwe and then the Netherlands had to beat Scotland and that's exactly what happened. It's Scotland. an incredible story. Yeah. Uh, Holland who, you know, last year were with a similar kind of team when all of their county players weren't able to play against England, were pantsed by England at Amstelveen. Mm -hmm. That same nucleus have managed to get the Dutch to the second stage of a 20-over World Cup where they did have their county players, to be fair, and now reach a 50-over World Cup ahead of three, four member nations, Ireland, uh, the West Indies and Zimbabwe, the home side. And they had to do it the hard way too by beating Scotland at the end who were there and thereabouts. Enormous credit to everybody mm. in Dutch cricket and reinforces why that World Cup Super League has been so important over the last three years. And, I mean, looking at all of this, it's like going to the puppy farm and then someone like puts a gun to your head and says you need to kick three of these four puppies. <laughs> you know, Zimbabwe played so well um, through the early stages of the tournament, had that one stumble at the end and that's it. They're out, they're knocked out. Brutal. On net run rate, Scotland were terrific, I mean, they were so resilient. They were so calm with the way that they knocked off Zimbabwe in in their run chase. They did it clinically. They kept them to a low score. I mean, they've set everything up and all they need to do is beat the Dutch to go through to the 10-team World Cup. They don't even have to beat them. They can just – they could lose in a run chase as long as they took 44 overs or more to do it and, and they, they still would have gone through. Yeah, and they were kind of getting there shakily, weren't they? Yeah. The Dutch, well, they, were, they were down to the tail towards the end. We were kind of tracking it on our coverage from Leeds, what was going on on the scorecard. Yeah, well, it was more that there was so much left to do. So Baz Delita, who's been oh, one of guy. the Dutch stars, had already taken five for 52 in the mm. first innings when they were bowling. So they needed to chase 278 in 44 overs, which is a stiff chase at the best of times. They're well behind the required rate to get there. They needed 115 from 
from the last 13 overs of the match and they were already five down at that point and then maybe six down pretty soon after that. He just goes beast mode at the end. Like he takes it deep. He hits five sixes in a couple of overs towards the end of the innings. 123 from 92 balls. Gets them there with eight balls to spare or something like that. A heartbreak for the Scottish team. He is only the fourth player in history to take a five for and make 100 in a one-day international. We were saying it last year down at the Cattery, Jeff, when covering the T20 World Cup that he might, be, he might go on to become the best ever cricketer for Holland and he, he'll be highly sought after in the um, in the freelance, you know, domestic T20 market as well because he's so good at both mm. disciplines. That's well under pressure. He got Holland over the line in two really narrow chases where they were chasing about 130-odd in those qualifiers last year, which he were He was important to, in that T20 game against South Africa when they beat them and knocked them yes, out of the T20 World right, Cup. That, that's right as well. So, and he's, um, yeah, he's, uh, I think it's his sister's Babette Delita who I've followed the career of a little bit at the um, fair break the last two years. So they're a, they're a great cricketing fan. Family. His old man played and captained the Netherlands through the 80s and 90s. So you know he's from. He's been preparing for this, I suppose, all through, all the way through his young life, yep. and, and now making it count. So they'll be at a 10-team World Cup in India. The fact that they've made it, Afghanistan have made it into the last 10 is is remarkable. They deserve all the plaudits, you know. And and I'm sure there'll be a couple of lopsided results along the way, and people will get stuck into them and say they shouldn't be there, but just piss off yeah. preemptively. And it's they've, and it's complex. And it's complex how they haven't had access to their county players. And there's been some really great pieces. Matt Roller on Crick Info wrote the best of them about the complexity that exists for Dutch players who can't fund their lives playing for their country, which is wrong, right? Yeah. They've been in the World Cup Super League over the last three years, mm. and yet their county deals, their modest county deals. Yeah. Are more lucrative than playing for their nation. That that's an, an emblem of where the distribution of money that we were so agitated about the other week out of that bucket of money the ICC mm-hmm. have to, to to split up and a greater a greater percentage of it going to India than ever before. Where the rubber hits the road is with a country like the Dutch who are going to be playing in that same World Cup against India later in the year. Yeah, and and the I mean the difference in finances. Like when we spoke to Richard Gould, his comparison that the ECB's total operating budget is less than that of Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah, you know, yeah, one sort of middling Premier League club. Then you've got individual counties who are operating on budgets of you know a couple of million pounds a year, sort of thing. And then out of those budgets, what they're paying one player, you know, really modest amounts, is still way more than they can get for playing international cricket. And, and some good news feels like Greg Barclay, who's the chair of the ICC, Jeff has been kind of sort of giving out signals and bearing in mind the ICC have their big um, annual meeting, I think Soon, it's next week. Yeah. I think it's next week in Dubai. So they have to go and kiss the ring with Jay Shah and all the rest of it. But if you've got this happening, it's great timing. I mean, the World Cup Super League is gone in theory, mm. but I wonder if there's a way through whether yeah. whether sensible heads can come together at this meeting. I mean, he gave a, a non-committal, wishy-washy sort of comment, but at least the comment existed when he said, well, what we've seen with – paraphrasing, he said, what we've seen with the qualifiers is that um, we need to have something. We need to have something that does that job, that, that lets these, these teams who are the next level down from the full member nations play – top teams, play them regularly um, and, and keep improving because here is here is the case, here is the proof. We've seen that it's working, it's made those teams better. And you don't want them to regress or the gap to grow when the, the World Cup's 14 teams next time. So it's in yep. the financial interest of the ICC for a competitive World Cup mm. in 2027. And, and As long as every team has to play 12 games so that you know, <laughs> there's no chance of uh, any lucrative teams being knocked out. Right, yes, I think they'll do it in two groups of seven the way that it should have been all along using the model from 2003. Anyway, anyway, that's uh, that's where that's at with the World Cup qualifiers. Let's go now to Houston, Texas, <laughs> and final word, USA correspondent Cameron Ponsonby. Final word, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon, and with us we have, well, occasional co-host of the show, uh, the man who makes all our social media channels sing. He's at the moment the Washington Freedoms media manager in Major League Cricket in America. Cam Ponsonby, Cam. Uh, hello to you. I have no idea where you are. I have no idea really what you're doing. And that's why we're getting you on to tell us all about this major league cricket thing and, and what doing. Yeah, it's been, it's an unusual kind of month for me as well. I mean, I'm in, I'm in Houston. I'm on the 20th floor of the Western Galeria in Houston, just to dox myself uh, immediately. Uh, we're going off, going <laughs> off to Dallas in about a week where the tournament starts. Um, yeah, this kind of, it's this tournament's been in, in the works for, a number of years basically it's kind of start there's been minor league cricket uh for a few years 
And there's been a lot of players kind of, they they pumped money into the system and they got a lot of players from South Africa, for instance, to come over. And in my mind, like not the official term, kind of play kind of green card cricket, where you come over, you've got long-term potential here of like stability for your family, come over, let's build cricket from the ground up. That's gone on for a number of years. And now this is the first year where that's turning into major league cricket and it's the first fully professional American league with big overseas players coming in. And I think somewhere where I, granted, you've got to listen to all this in the caveat and context of me being like paid and paid employee of the league, but somewhere I kind of park my cynicism that kind of exists for other kind of, kind of out of the ground new franchise tournaments is there is a huge cricket fan base here. So chatting to some of the players here, local players they go you will not believe how much cricket there is in the us you can play 12 months a year no problem and something that reflects what we hear from kind of chatting to colleagues at crick info is if you look through readerships by nations it often goes india uk usa and that's the same for some broadcast deals and there's basically this massive diluted fan base in america you've got 350 million people here and you've got massive South Asian, Caribbean, English community. So there's an appetite for the game. It's just it's spread out everywhere. And now they are, uh, like, for want of a better phrase, kind of throwing money at it and going, now or never, let, let's give it a crack. And that crack starts in, what, three or four days, basically, uh, with Texas Super Kings versus someone else who I can't remember. <laughs> the big one, yeah. the grudge match. Finally, they're going to the settle El Classico. it. Yeah, it's it when Kevin Sheedy got his jacket and waved it around yes. his head. Oh, that's when the Super Kings got mad. Now, the the idea, the impression that the MLC is is being pulled together very much on the hoof, um, that, that nobody quite knows what's going on and they're just making it work on the move, is, is supported by the fact that you have a different job to when you arrived 24 hours ago. Is that true? Uh, that's true. That's a tough. That's a tough one to answer there, Jeff. Um, no, so I, I, I kind of the boring story is I kind of do freelancing for this one company, and I get and that company's doing the socials, and so I got here, and I was going to be doing, and I am still doing the social medias, and they said, do you mind if you kind of handle the media requests as well, which I was fine with because it makes my job sound much more important than it is, and will get me a better job in the future than I deserve because I can pretend to have done lots of very. Uh, <laughs> difficult things so you're a, you're a media manager now is i'm that, a media is manager that... i am i am the danny rubin of of, of, of washington of, of washington <laughs> as a whole you you are that annoying person who gets in the way of us getting the interviews that's, that that's we want exactly. to get it's, the power is phenomenal it's genuinely i've already had the thrill of like people messaging going like can i have a chat i'm like maybe maybe no maybe you can't but no i think so there's kind of seven different entities that you have Major League Cricket as a whole, and Major League Cricket is separate to Cricket USA or USA Cricket, whatever. And I'm sure in the same way there is in every uh, country, there's kind of politics and kind of people busting heads in that context. The six teams, you have four of them have IPL um, involvement or ownership involved, mm. um, and the other two have partnerships with Australian boards. So Washington, Washington Freedom, has a partnership with Cricket New South Wales. So that means from an administrative point of view, uh, like Michael Klinger is over here as general manager and he's the director of New South Wales Cricket. Greg Schiff is the coach. A lot of the backroom staff is the same. And so from that kind of standing point, you have kind of people who know what they're doing, kind of they've been brought in to kind of operate this new T20 team. And if, well, New South Wales operate two T20 teams, Thunder and the Sixers, separate experience on that front san francisco has a tie-up with cricket victoria and then the other four teams are all kind of ipl owned so there's a lot of kind of kind of heavyweight cricket hitters involved in the individual runnings of each team because there is just there, there's it's the unicorn isn't it like if if it's been asked for decades literally the san francisco unicorns. literally literally the san francisco unicorns who are i mean i haven't met them yet i'm sure they're lovely this kind of question of can you break the US has existed forever. And there was an article that cricket.com.au did. I can't remember who they interviewed. They interviewed a number of kind of Aussie people involved in the setting up of Major League Cricket. And um, there was this kind of now or never feel to it. It was like, we're never going to have the same like amount of cash, the amount of high profile backing all coming in at one go. And so it will, it will be interesting. I kind of, I kind of, um, have this feeling where it kind of I, I don't know if i can really say this i kind of feel like it will almost be because it's new and the domestic players are 
not necessarily kind of grassroots USA players, but adult players who have been successful elsewhere who are looking for their life beyond cricket, it can almost be so fake it becomes real. So if you look at the Major League Cricket team, if you look at Washington's team, for example, I think it's you need six overseas players and you've got incredibly high quality players playing. And then the local players, you have two lads who have played international cricket for Pakistan and you have a lad called Andrew Scouse, who's a fantastic cricketer and averages 40 in South African first-class cricket. Those guys can play this game, like they're serious players. And so the quality of cricket on show is going to be really high. And you combine that with this kind of enough of a cricket appetite where the first game of the tournament and hopefully beyond is sold out, you can have good players playing in front of big crowds. So, and that's all you kind of, what else really matters after that? That's kind mm. of the main mm. ingredient. You mentioned the Indian influence or the IPL influence rather with three clubs there. And I didn't realise about the, the Cricket New South Wales piece to this or Cricket Victoria. That That's quite interesting. But also that there's this, well, I'm not sure if rivalry is the right word, but there, there is going to be um, competition one way or another with the 100 and with domestic cricket in England, given the time of year that it operates. Jason Roy is playing in America. Um, he obviously had to part ways with his incremental ECB contract in order to do that because he wasn't going to get an NOC otherwise. But can you just talk to that idea that the 100 in England, which is obviously such an important part of the future as far as the ECBC diversified revenue stream away from Test cricket and all the rest of it, how that runs into the MLC and at the same time I read a piece this morning about how um, they in America want to get as many England players as possible which makes sense given they're the dual world champions in white ball cricket. I'll be interested to see how that because obviously I haven't heard this in like an official capacity at all I've just read the same articles that everyone else has about MLC wanting to grow and expand and kind of then that old approach on the hundred. I'll be interested to see how that plays because this tournament at the moment is very attractive to Aussie players in particular because it is in their off season and it's and it, and it's short at the moment, so you can come over mm. from Australia next year. There's no te- Australian Test cricket during this time, so there's kind of I, I wouldn't be surprised to see teams across the board, not just the two Australian kind of linked up teams, trying to get more Aussie players in. But then once as soon as you kind of expand outwards and become bigger, you make yourself a less convenient uh, kind of port of call. Uh, I don't know. Yes, it will go up against the 100 just by nature of where it is in the calendar. And yes, I guess, I guess it could be the first real glaring example of kind of cash versus history or however you want to play it because these guys, the the, the contracts that the overseas players are getting are, are very lucrative. And that's why I think the maths of like Jason Royce thing went that the, the incremental contracts worth like 60 grand a year. And he gave up the last 20 of it to earn another 700 gazillion pounds here. Like mathematically, it's a no brainer, <laughs> but I, I don't think, I think it's kind of a bridge that will, will kind of cross that bridge when it comes because the tournament needs to be a success first. And then it will, if it expands, then players might have a, a, the debate of whether to come over here instead. But if the tournament's not, a success and that doesn't really happen i don't know if i i haven't mean to half answer half ask that question that's not a corporate answer that's a i'm not really sure to be honest adam answer what about the the concern that you raised online that, that's reflected in your case of uh, young test match journalists rejecting <laughs> test central contracts in order to join these freelance leagues and suddenly be, get promoted to media manager i think it's, it's a very concerning a grave concern for journalists across across the, the world really um hey, ashes test cricket is dying it's all about the seattle orcas versus washington freedom yeah. So, and how much how much of a Washington vibe is there? Considering you're going to play the entire tournament in yeah. Texas with a bit of North Carolina, how much connection do you feel with DC? You know, how much are people on the streets of DC concerned with the fortunes of the freedom? Who's getting in touch? Are they talking about it in Congress? You know, are they yeah. are they going to storm the house once again if, say, the freedom have a bad season? So, Barrack, Donald, and Joe have all been in touch. Uh, they're very this on this on the top of their kind of thought process at the moment. Uh, no, so something I heard the other day, which is quite interesting, the way that they chose where the teams were is they kind of went into kind of broadcast demographics and they saw which towns in, and cities in the US were were the most interested in cricket. Where Where's watching cricket the most? And that's how they kind of picked the locations. Realistically, at the moment, so the owner of, of Washington Freedom is Sanjay Govill, who has got a, kind of a base in um, Washington. That's kind of his connection there. So there's a genuine fact, like familial, I think is the word, connection to Washington. At the moment, of course, with a tournament based in Texas and then North Carolina, 
that isn't uh, necessarily that tangible at the moment. But the plan is from 2025, if everything goes well, that's the year that it stops being a tournament played in one hub. And the expansion of the tournament means it'll be played in a lot in every different location. So Washington will have their own matches in Washington. The plan is to be there's going to be a stadium built at George Mason University or like a joint baseball cricket tie up. And that's the kind of idea you have these kind of two years of it being on the ground all in one place. And then once the tournament expands, then Texas will be playing in Texas. Washington will be playing in Washington. And in theory, the planning has been that these locations are where there are strong cricketing communities. And so, for instance, where we go to North Carolina, we're going to Morrisville, and that's a town with a massive South Asian population. They already have a minor league cricket team. So the reason it's going there is because kind of taking the horse to water at the moment, that's where the kind of cricket fan base is, hopefully. Cam, we're mindful you've got training to get to. You've got media to manage. Remember that when you're talking to a journalist, you've got to go on background if you want to talk. Otherwise, we'll quote you. You don't have to accept the premise of a question when a journalist speaks to you either. Um, I look forward to your first bollocking of a reporter when they write something horrible about the Washington freedom as well. Whenever that time comes, I look forward to you getting on the end of the phone and giving them what for. All the things that are part and parcel with being the media manager. I can't wait. I can't wait to listen to your assessment of my Major League Cricket then have to complain to you and clip up the media clip at the same time and then feed back into my bosses here as well. So, yeah, it's all very simple. Not problematic at all. Cam, good luck over there. In all seriousness, it's great that you've got this opportunity and I hope that comps are success and that you get everything out of it that you want. We'll check it in a couple of weeks. Perfect. Thanks, lads. Cheers. Bye-bye, bye-bye. This is the final word. Thanks to Cam Ponsonby for jumping on the show. Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins saying farewell to you. Remember, if you want to come to the live show on the 26th, uh, have a look in the show notes or on our socials or whatever it is for uh, links to tickets to the live show in London. Get in now. 26th of July. It's at the pub where Winnie and I go to the Toddler's mm-hmm. Indie Disco at the Phoenix every fourth Sunday. It's a lovely place. And remember, if you want to sign up on Patreon first, then you can get a half-price ticket. Do it. In your interest. If, if, if you were thinking about about becoming a patron and you probably got a fairly good idea how hard Jeff and I have been working this summer anyway and you're like I, I admire their work well now you can by virtue of becoming a patron come to the show and meet mm-hmm. Steve Finn and Steve Finn's got massive hands he does he'll, he'll place them against your own hands like and Stewie you can Lowe. compare you can compare it's everybody's favourite thing to do with people with big hands is put your hands against their hands and then talk about the difference in the hands I want to get Steve Finn and Stewie Lowe in the same room to do exactly this hands up against each other hands I around how, America I reckon I'd, I'd go okay you've, against you've got bigger Steve hands Finn. than me yeah yeah, uh, yeah. I reckon no. Finney's got Finney's got enormous mitts. We'll see. Yeah, I, anyway. I, I'm imagining him just grabbing my entire head and lifting me off the ground. Yeah, you know, like like he's taking <laughs> a light a light bulb out of a lamp. That's what I'm hoping. We'll do this at the live show. We'll compare hands. We will. That's going to be a big segment. That's about 40 minutes of the first segment of the live show. We've got an overhead projector and everything. We can can show it to the audience. We'll 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 trace our hands on tracing paper. This has been the final word. The weekly show. I don't know. It's just the final word. That's the one it is. Lord's Tabs. Lord's Tabs. Find the Lord's Tabs stuff in the show notes too. Sign up. Bless them. Follow follow their fine work uh, and keep an eye on our feeds because there will be more coming. Just about every day, because we can't <laughs> stop and we won't stop. We'll see you next time. Bye. I had to go.